Uh, we did say that we were going to keep this short, and I will keep it short. I didn't even come up with any notes or anything like that. I'm assuming it's still maybe a little cool, uh, since most of you still have jackets on and everything like that. Uh, so let me just simply do this. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 6. Let me read this passage and then just make just a couple brief observations on ways in which this passage bears perhaps a, a particular connection with this theme of the sanctity of life or the pro life cause that we are so. Uh, attached to. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You know, thinking about... Uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, of course, I, I oftentimes think about, well, oftentimes, inevitably, think about my father as well and the work that he had given himself to for, for so many years. Most of you, if you've been following the news, you know that there was a, a major case that, uh, where the Supreme Court this year took oral arguments already earlier in January, the Dobbs case that came out of Mississippi, that uh, depending on how the Supreme Court rules could actually undo, essentially negate, nullify uh, Roe as the law of the land. It's possible that by this time next year, we could have a Sanctity of Life Sunday when Roe will not be the law on the books for the United States of America. That's possible, certainly. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I work for a nonprofit ministry. But let me try to direct your attention. Let me try to direct your attention as to ways that we as Christians might think about our particular moment in this particular venue as it pertains to things like Supreme Court decisions and politics in general, particularly in light of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. First off, I would say, if you're reading 1 Timothy 2, you have to read this passage and say, whatever else that I may want to say or what may want to pull out of this passage, I have to acknowledge that Paul is directing the church under God's authority, with God's authority, that the church ought to pray for people who are in positions of authority, who are in government, who are civil magistrates, who are on the Supreme Court. We ought to be praying for those people. What you need to take notice of, though, is that while he says we ought to be praying for all people, including 
people who are civil authorities, people who sit on the seat of government. Notice that Paul does not frame this encouragement to pray as a means to get favorable legislation in and of itself. In other words, Paul does not go in 1 Timothy 2 to say, we need to pray for these people who are in authority over us, these governing officials, so that we can pass this law and that law, this legislation and that legislation. Do you notice that? Rather, what Paul spends his time talking about is, we need to pray for these people because as you trace his line of thought down, what he wants to get to is, God desires all men to be saved. We ought to pray for people who render court decisions. We ought to pray for people who legislate. We ought to pray for people who sign laws into action not just so that we would get a favorable ruling, not just so that we would get favorable legislation, but we ought to pray because most important is that we see God's kingdom expanding. The reason that a nation, the reason that any group of people would have laws in the first place is because sin needs to be restrained, right? If there is a transformation of heart and mind, the weight, the importance that we put on legislation is greatly diminished. What I want, what we ought to want more than anything else, is yes, we want to see righteous laws. We want to see laws that reflect most clearly what God has revealed and what God has given to us in His moral and ethical revelation, but we ought to want to see people transformed by the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we don't have to depend on those laws to protect life. Let me make two observations here. In verses 1 and 2, when Paul says that we ought to pray for all kinds of people, and especially for people in positions of authority, notice the first reason that he gives, the first purpose in doing that, is in order that we may lead a tranquil or a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. One of the reasons that Christians ought to care about what happens in their nation, in their country, in the political realm, is because Christians, above all people, want to live in a peaceful society. But here again, notice Paul is not just simply after a political outcome. What Paul wants most is for God's people to live in a peaceful society because in a peaceful society, there is the opportunity for godliness to thrive and flourish. Listen, this is going to be one of the challenges. Let's assume for the moment, let's assume for the moment that there is a favorable ruling that comes down from the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case, that Roe is nullified. You understand, you recognize that that doesn't mean that abortion just magically goes away. What that means is that there no longer is a federal law or statute there upholding it, and it goes back now to the states. Paul says that we ought to be praying for all people 
so that we can live peaceful lives thriving in godliness. We need to think and we need to prepare ourselves. For so many years, most of the attention and the energy and the push and pull that has gone on over this issue has been directed towards Washington, D.C., right? The focus has been out there. But if this issue comes back to the states, you know what that means. That means that all of that energy and all of that push and pull, that's going to come really close to home. In many ways, there, may, there could be greater challenges to live peacefully with our neighbors than what we experience right now. Because now, the stakes in local elections are going to be ramped up immensely. We want to be the kind of people who pray for the Lord to work, not just on the world outside, but to work on us as well, so that we are people who with the, the peace, the tranquility of God Himself can live godly lives in such a way that we can love our neighbors well, even when our neighbors don't see eye to eye with us. We want the witness and the testimony of the church as a collective whole in love and compassion to be so overwhelming that our witness and our testimony cannot be ignored. We want to be loving and compassionate. We want to be godly in our interactions with people who do not see eye to eye with us on this issue. We want to be loving and compassionate and godly with people who do ultimately choose to go the way of abortion. We want to continue to bring people back to the offer of life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we want to see good laws in our society because we want society to be stable and peaceful so that we can thrive in godliness, not merely so that we can win a political debate. And second, Paul says in verse 3 that this, this living a peaceful, tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think what Paul is doing here is that he's connecting our prayers for all people and the way that we live, connecting that with God's desire to save people. In other words, one of the keys to praying for our neighbors and our elected officials and our judges, one of the reasons that we do that is because as our society remains stable, as it defends and sets up guardrails to protect life, as we have an opportunity to thrive in godliness and to grow in Christ-likeness, that godly thriving is meant to spill out into the society around us to our neighbors so that we have opportunities to freely share with them why it is that we see life the way that we do, why it is that we have hope in Jesus Christ, and to offer to them not just a political platform, but to offer them peace 
with the one true king who truly reigns over all. So my encouragement to you would be, both on Sanctity of Life Sunday, as we wait for the Supreme Court to usher forth its ruling, maybe in the summer, who knows, make it part of your prayer life. Not just that you're going to pray for these individuals, not just that you're going to pray for governing officials, but that you're going to pray for yourself and your family, that you're going to pray for our church and churches that God would so work on our hearts and minds that He would continue to make us people who are more passionate about godliness than we are about politics. Not because politics is not important, but because it's not ultimate. God and His saving purposes in Jesus Christ is ultimate. And that's what we want to make our goal and our ambition. And then second, that as godliness becomes our greatest goal, our ultimate goal, more so than politics, that that godliness would be so contagious and infectious that it would spill over into our neighborhoods and that many other men and women would be confronted with the life-giving aroma of Jesus Christ and they would become hungry for it. We want to see not just life in flesh and blood. We want to see eternal life thriving and expanding in our community. I'm going to close this with a word of prayer, and we will be done for this morning. Andy is going to go to the back. He'll stand at the door. I'll remain at the front. If you're here new, if you have any questions about the church… If you have any questions about anything that's been said in this service, I'll remain down here. You're welcome to come and talk to me. Edgewood people, I would encourage you, take an opportunity before you leave to give a kind word, some encouragement to the Sound Choices directors and volunteers, thanking them for their work. And we will plan to see you next week. Fair warning, short sermon today, I'm going to make up for it. I'm kidding. Bow with me in prayer. Father, how easy it is for us to get caught up in the shouting matches of this life. We are inundated with the 24-hour news cycle and social media and all kinds of, uh, of news and press reports. We ask, Father, that you would help us to keep in mind that one thing and one thing only matters, and that is your purpose and your will for us. Help us, Father, to see that growing in godliness is far more important in light of eternity than growing a political party, than growing a movement, and that more than winning a court case, more than winning good legislation, as important and as right as what that is, that we would be first and foremost concerned with the genuine lives and well-being of your image-bearers our neighbors. Father, we ask that not only would you give us the ability to speak well for the sanctity of life, but that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to speak of that greater eternal life that we find through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, who's died in our place to pay for our sins, who was raised to new life, and who ascended to the right hand to rule and reign for all time. Thank you for our time together this morning. 
And we praise you for your goodness and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.